Appalachia. Nobody truly knows where the word comes from, yet everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Everything from mountaintop beauty and deep forest to meth heads and extreme prejudice. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet to the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed downright unbelievable and tormenting historical atrocities. They have lived through everything from hauntings to cryptic creatures that show up and wreak havoc on their homesteads. The worst creature, though, may be man himself. I, being born and raised in these Appalachian Mountains, know that nothing is beyond a pale of belief, no matter how fantastic it sounds. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has a long legacy of unending tales and adventures. Come with me as I take you on a fantastic journey through these mountains, where things are not always as they seem. I guarantee you it won't be anything like you expected. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Season 2 of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. How you doing, my good friends? Thank you again for stopping by today. I know that in today's society, there's been great cause to question the police and how they handle a given situation. I, myself, was lucky enough to not be in any of the given situations that we've all seen portrayed in the videos that are less than flattering for the police in that position, and that's just putting it mildly. As I've said many times before, I spent many years on the rescue squad in my hometown and worked closely with the officers there. I knew nearly all of them because I went to school with most of them, and with many of them actually being in class on my first, very first day of school at kindergarten. Anyway, for me, I know that when the call goes out, those folks respond with good intent and seemingly little concern for themselves when the rubber meets the road. It's a dangerous job, and everybody that signs up for it knows it up front. Still, they show up every day and go at it like we all go to our jobs every day. And inevitably, situations arise when some don't go home. Sit down, make yourself home, and let me tell you one that's going to dang near be unbelievable to you, because it was me. On the night of May 31st, 1979, the officers in the Rutherford County, North Carolina, were called to a domestic disturbance call involving one James W. Hutchins and his daughter, Charlotte. Charlotte had returned home from a high school dance where alcohol had been consumed. Now, this caused Mr. Hutchins to get a little hot under the collar. In fact, he got a whole lot hot under the collar. You might say he was downright enraged, and with that, he figured he'd assault Charlotte with a dang good beating. Not a spanking, mind you, but a beating. When other family members tried to protect the girl, he stepped it all up a notch and decided that he'd straighten it all out by giving them all a good beating. Matter of fact, he was going to give them all a good beat down. Charlotte managed to escape the wrath and run over to the neighbor's house where she called the sheriff's office. 
and Captain Roy Husky, who was the half-brother of the sheriff, was the one who took the call and rolled up in the Hutchins driveway. As he sat in his patrol car surveying the scene, didn't appear that much was going on, so he decided to just go up and knock on the door and ask a few questions. First, he called in to dispatch and told them that he'd be out, you know, like they do when they're going to go check something out. Now, back then, they didn't have the portable radios that you see today, you know, the ones that hang on your uniforms. Dispatch would take your call, and dispatchers across the country usually had some type of a time to wait before they would check back with the officer to make sure that everything was going all right and there wasn't nothing wrong. Apparently, Captain Husky exceeded that time limit, which alarmed the dispatcher. And it alarmed him enough to send another officer to check out the captain and make sure he was all right. Well, Deputy Owen Messersmith was the one who took the call to back up Captain Husky. Now, it wasn't uncommon for this to happen and the second officer to roll up on pretty much nothing at all, but a busy police officer trying to do his job and in, in no danger at all most of the time. He was just tied up and couldn't call back to the dispatch at time. But... The last thing Deputy Messersmith expected was exactly what he found. He saw the captain's car in the driveway, and as he pulled in behind it, he saw Captain Husky lying beside the car with a gaping head wound. James Hutchins had shot Captain Husky in the head with a high-powered rifle from a sniper's nest inside the house. The captain hadn't made it one step outside the car door before he was shot in the head. Now, it didn't take Deputy Messersmith long to realize that, well, by golly, he's in the crosshairs of this man's scope right now, and threw his car in reverse and started to roll out backwards to try to take cover. As he shifted into reverse and started to back away, Deputy Messersmith was shot in the head through the windshield of his patrol car. The vehicle continued backwards and across the street and ran into a ditch, and Deputy Messersmith's body fell over and was laying on the steering wheel causing the horn to blow continuously. A frantic neighbor called the sheriff's office to report that two deputies had been shot in the Hutchins driveway. That's when the radio dispatcher passed out cold from shock when told that both officers she'd sent to the call had been shot. Now, if all that wasn't bad enough, a jailer who was trained to handle the jail facilities and inmates was in the back of the jail in the next room where he heard the radio. He started getting a mite concerned that he didn't hear any dispatcher responding to anybody talking. So he decided to check things out. When he got to the dispatch area, he realized that the dispatcher was passed out cold on the floor. I couldn't find any information on the injuries sustained by the dispatcher other than passing out, but uh, stay out as long as it indicates to me that uh, maybe she was a bump on the head or something when she passed out hitting it on the floor or maybe something on the way down i'd say because she was out pretty long so while not being trained to do so but trying to help out he started answering phones and calling ambulance for the dispatcher all available ambulances were hell-bent for leather on the way to the hutchins place though turning things into a big Rubik's Cube of a mess. Never being trained to do what he was doing, the poor jailer didn't know 
how to notify the state police headquarters in Nashville or didn't even know to so the troopers could be alerted of the situation so they could maybe respond and assist and maybe try to get a description of the shooter and his vehicle. But so then none of that happened and nobody knew it that just after he murdered the two deputies, James Hutchins made a run for it in his car, still armed with his high-powered rifle. North Carolina State Highway Trooper Peter Pete Peterson was stopped at the McDowell-Rutherford County line on U.S. Highway 221. He was talking to a feller officer named Trooper Good, who was assigned to McDowell County. Trooper Peterson heard some garbled radio traffic on the Rutherford County Sheriff's frequency in his scanner that made the hair on the back of his neck stand up. Troopers used or used to use their own personal scanners to monitor the local law enforcement channels, which were a different frequency than the state police. Trooper Peterson couldn't make out exactly what was happening, but he figured that something was wrong and left toward North Rutherford while Trooper Good went to the south. Now, Trooper Peterson radioed the Troop G Communications Center in Asheville and asked the State Highway Patrol dispatchers to contact the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office and find out what was wrong. State Highway Patrol dispatchers called the Sheriff's Office repeatedly, but just weren't able to get through to the poor jailer who was doing his best with what he had to work with. And due to the whole place being thrown into chaos, he, he was pretty much doing some juggling, I think. Uh, They were also unable to get a computer reply either. This became the, or because the jailer didn't know how to use the then newfangled North Carolina statewide police information network computer system. He had been able to, or if he'd been able to do that, that would enable communication between the agencies due to the overloaded phone lines, but all of that combined together with that prevented the troopers in the region from getting any immediate report of the incident, and they were completely unaware that two Rutherford County deputies had been gunned down and that the suspect was on the lam in his car making a run for it, and that folks wasn't good for anybody about to be involved in the situation. As Trooper Peterson crossed the Rutherford County or Rutherford City limits on U.S. 221, wouldn't you know it? Uh, James Hutchinson blasted past him in a whirlwind going in the opposite direction. Trooper Peterson turned around and <clears throat> took off after him, apparently thinking that he was after a reckless driver and not knowing that the moron had just murdered two sheriff deputies and was still holding a rifle across his lap that he'd done it with. Trooper Peterson radioed that he'd caught up with the car and that the suspect had jumped out and run into the woods. Uh, Troopers from across the whole region were made aware that the two Rutherford County deputies were murdered, and just as Trooper Peterson jumped out to pursue the man into the woods, troopers who were rushing to assist Rutherford County officers realized that Trooper Peterson just might have run across the killer of the deputies. That's when about every one of them, on and off duty, uh, became aware of the situation and started speeding toward him, especially after they didn't get an answer from him on the repeated calls on his radio. Stick around, I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Mm-hmm.
Trooper Good arrived to find Trooper Peterson, his friend's patrol car with blue lights flashing. It was stopped on a northbound shoulder of a sharp curve on US-221 behind Mr. Hutchins' car, which was stopped near a tree line. Trooper Peterson, well, he was crumpled by the driver's side of his patrol car, mortally wounded from a high-powered gunshot wound to the head. His revolver was drawn and had been fired one time. His body position was consistent with his having apparently used a vehicle engine block for cover, or which is a standard tactic for police officers. Finally, James Hutchin was captured hiding like a possum in a dense thicket in Rutherford County after a 12-hour search conducted by over 200 local, state, and federal law enforcement officers from across western North Carolina. Trooper Peterson's friend, <clears throat> Trooper Good, thought about putting a slug through Hutchins' head for a split second just before realizing he was a better man than that. Due to the widespread anger of local residents in Rutherford County against Mr. Hutchins for having murdered three respected and well-liked area lawmen, he was dragged the next day to the jail in Shelby, North Carolina for his own good. He was later transferred to the more secure Buncombe County Jail in Asheville, North Carolina, because it wasn't felt that Shelby was far enough away as mad as these people were. On June 12, 1979, <clears throat> James Hutchins' daughter, Charlotte, testified in Rutherford County that on the day of the murders, her father beat her and the other members of her family. The disagreement was over the amount of vodka she had poured into the punch for high school graduation. As the trial opened on September 17, 1979, Mr. Hutchins pleaded not guilty, following the prosecutor's demand that he receive the death penalty. Days later, the jury found Mr. Hutchins guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder. The same jury ruled that Hutchins should die in the state's gas chamber, which at the time hadn't been used since 1961. Presiding Judge Donald Smith said October 12, 1979 is Hutchins' execution date, also referring to Hutchins as the most dangerous man he'd ever seen. Of course, appeals brought on automatic delay, but Superior Court Judge Lacey Thornburg later set October 15, 1981 as the date of execution. But yes, there's always a but with these warts on the rear of society. Further appeals pushed the date to January 22, 1982. Just before the scheduled execution date, the state Supreme Court granted a stay so further appeals could be pursued. A new date was set for October 15, 1982, and again, that date was delayed by appeals. By March 16, 1984, the back and forth was over with, and James Hutchins was marched into the death cell at Raleigh, strapped to a gurney and given enough happy juice to kill him and two other people. He holds the distinguished honor of being the first deviant put down in North Carolina by lethal injection. Well, I can say that I hope they buried him with his winner's certificate, title belt, crown, blue ribbon, and whatever else he won for it. State Trooper Pete Peterson was a living legend in North Carolina State Highway Patrol and for being the longest serving and most motivated physical training instructor in the history of North Carolina Highway Patrol Training Center. 
He was nicknamed Super Trooper by both law enforcement personnel and Rutherford County residents for his incredible physical fitness and relentless motivation I'm sorry, to arrest drunk drivers. He still today remains a legend within the State Highway Patrol in Rutherford County and Western North Carolina law enforcement circles. Captain Husky had served at the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office for 12 years and was loved by his community. He was survived by his extended family and his half-brother, who was sheriff at the time of Rutherford County. He also, <clears throat> by the community, was Deputy Owen Messersmith, who left behind a son, Emery, and a wife, Alice, who never remarried. So beloved was he that a bridge in U.S. Route 74 in Rutherford County was named the Officer Owen Messersmith Bridge. The State Highway Patrol made a concerted effort to have better and more timelier communications with low, local law enforcement agencies after the Rutherford County tragedy, which was the worst one-day loss of law enforcement lives in North Carolina enforcement history. An incident previous to the Rutherford County tragedy had occurred back in 1975. In that incident, North Carolina Highway Patrolman G.T. Davis of Troop A was shot to death in downtown Williamston, North Carolina, when he had also stopped a car that was wanted. In his case, he stopped a car from running the red light on U.S. 64 and U.S. 17 intersection had no idea that just minutes earlier the three occupants of the car had just robbed a bank about 10 miles up the road. Martin County officials had failed to report the robbery and suspect description to the highway patrol. Law enforcement personnel across the country continue to this day to use the Rutherford County tragedy to emphasize the dangers of domestic disputes to law enforcement officers when they respond to domestic calls. Related tactics and training were changed nationwide as a result of the incident. My friends on the police department always told me that the domestic calls were the ones that had them on high alert the most. I hope you got something out of our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to follow us, please, or subscribe, or whatever you're listening on. If you'd like... Even more episodes of both podcasts and access to the Deviant Report, consider coming, becoming a subscriber for $1.99 a month for extra episodes of all three podcasts. Or you can just please join us on Facebook group at Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back real soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend, and I'll see you then. <laughs>